John chapter 20 is the passage we'll be looking at tonight. The story of Jesus appearing to his disciples after his resurrection from the dead. Page 883 in your pew Bibles. Page 883. John 20. We'll begin to read at verse 19 and read through verse 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of a nail in his hand... Put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus' disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. I don't think it's going to come as a surprise to any of you that quite a bit of the conversations that we have in campus ministries with people from the student body or people from the faculty or people from the staff are questions about faith and doubt. We exist here in an academic community where we're taught to think and to wonder and explore and challenge and question. And some of us, for the first time, are kind of looking at theology in a very analytic way. Or some of us, for the first time, are are dealing with Scripture and approaching it in fresh ways. Or maybe some of us, for the first time, are encountering significant grief or loss or struggle. And all of these things can swirl into doubt. And if we're honest with each other, every one of us has times when the swirl gets the best of us. 
And that's why it's such a gift to have a story like this in Scripture. The disciples are all together in the upper room. The doors are locked. It's Easter Sunday, but they don't call it that yet. It's just a day to them, a bad, bad day. The doors are locked for fear of the Jews. Mary Magdalene's told them this story, but they're not quite sure how they believe it or not. They're not sure what's going to happen next. They're full of anxiety. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the middle of them and says, peace be with you. Shows them who he is. They're all excited. They're so excited. I can't believe it's the Lord. He's here. He's risen from the dead. Mary was right. She's always been a truth teller. We should have known. They're all excited about it. But Thomas isn't with them. We don't know what he's doing, but he's not with them. So he comes in the door, and they're all like, Tom, 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 guess what, guess what, guess what? Jesus is alive, for real. He was really here. He was standing right here. It was amazing. We touched him. We saw him. He spoke to us. It was incredible. And now Thomas looks at these people that he loves, these people who haven't slept in about three days, who are completely grief-stricken, who have those big, big bags under their eyes. And he looks at these people and he says, okay, um, this ghost or vision or apparition, whatever it was that you saw, I think it's great and I want to encourage you. I think it's really, it's great. But you know what, guys? Unless I actually see the scars in his hand and, you know, and touch him, I'm just not going to believe. Now, Thomas has gotten a lot of hits over the years for this. But I want you to, to notice a few things. First of all, they're all locked in the room for fear of the Jews. And where is Thomas? He's out. He's doing stuff. We don't know if he was getting them all the groceries. We don't know if he was maybe checking in on someone's aging parent. They're all locked inside. They're terrified. They're afraid. He's the one who's out. He's doing stuff. And this is consistent with who we know Thomas to be. Earlier in this story, Jesus decides that it's time for him to go to Bethany, an area right outside Jerusalem, even though that place is crawling with people who are opposed to his ministry, people who want him dead. And it's Thomas in that instance who says, let's go with him so that we may die with him. Brave. Loyal. When Jesus is explaining how he has many rooms and there's his house and they're all going to go there and it's a little bit confusing, it's Thomas who says, um, we don't know where you're going. We really want to go. Um, so could you help us know the way? He's the one who asks the question. Thomas is loyal to these people. He loves these people. He loves Jesus. He is brave. He is out there. So when he comes in and puts the groceries on the counter and sees these exhausted people telling him what they have just seen, he also knows what it's like out there. He knows that if this group, who's all been locked away for a day, just bursts out of this room and goes in the streets of Jerusalem and starts telling people, you know what, that Jesus is alive, 
He knows that they're going to think they're crazy. So he's like, okay, let's just, let's just take a breather. Just all calm down. That's great, really. It's very cool. But I, I can't believe until I see the scars in his hands. Now, that makes a lot of sense. From a legal standpoint, people were known by their scars. If you were in the court of law, they could prove who you were by your scars. It was like, oh, no, 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 not, not that Daniel. The Daniel who has the big scar over his, uh, over his eyebrow where his brother hit him with that rock when they were little. That Daniel. Oh, right, 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 right. Oh, no, not that Miriam. The Miriam who has the burn on, her, on the side of her hand from the cooking accident. That Miriam. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I know who you're talking about. So Thomas makes a very good claim. I, I, I'm just, I'm not going to know it's him until I see his scars. And in fact, if you notice in verse 20, they don't believe it's him until they see the scars. He says to them, peace be with him. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So, Thomas's claim is legit. It's completely legitimate. I'm not going to believe until I see the scars. It's completely legitimate from a legal standpoint. It's legitimate from what's already happened. And it's very legitimate if you have spent your whole life as a twin. Thomas has spent his whole life going, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm Tom. No, my, my brother is Tim. Yeah, I'm, no, yeah, he's, yeah, he's the one you want. His whole life. Teachers calling him by his brother's name. His brother getting him into trouble when it wasn't his fault. If there's anybody who understands mistaken identity, it's a twin. So Thomas sees these people and he's like, look, I know. You guys are a little mixed up. It could happen. Maybe somebody's playing a joke on you. I don't really know. But let me say this, until I see the scars and I touch him, I'm not going to believe. Makes all the sense in the world. And then what happens? Do they say to him, well, we don't want you with us anymore? Does he say to them, I can't be with you anymore? No. In the day after Jesus had risen from the dead, that very day, the Christian community made space for the person who doubted. They made space. They spent the week together doing what they had been doing. They said their prayers together. They ate meals together. They loved Thomas, and Thomas loved them. They didn't know that Jesus was going to show up again. We can imagine that the people who had seen Jesus, the disciples, and the women were like, wasn't that amazing? That, what do you think he meant by that whole receive the Spirit and the sins retaining? What is that about? I don't know what that's about. We have to pray on that one. I have no idea what he's talking about with that. And they're all discussing this, and it's not like when Thomas walked up, they were like, shh, 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 shh. 
They included him in the conversation. He was there with them. That's why a week later, when it happens again, he's still with them. The Christian community made space for the one who doubted. I think so often we let our doubts flutter right outside of our peripheral vision. We let the questions hang at the back of our throat. We don't bring the doubts where we can really focus on them. We don't speak our questions out because we're not quite sure what would happen if we did. I mean, they can't know that I have any doubts about this. I play the guitar in chapel. I'm a Barnabas student. I'm on student senate. I'm a leader. I'm at Calvin College. Are we all supposed to believe here all the time, 100% certainty, no doubts at all? Raising our hands in church? Is it that? I'm going to tell you a secret. There is no one, there is no one who walks in to every worship space every time 100% certain about everything having to do with theology and the Bible and their own lives and how God works in it. There isn't anybody who does that. In fact, I'm going to guess that for most of us, we're, we're not 100%, we're, we're like at 80%. Like, we're good at like 80%, and about 20%, we just have like unanswered questions that float out there. What really does prayer do? Does, does God save people who've never heard of Jesus, never been exposed to the gospel, don't know anything? What's, what's that whole deal with election anyway? Does a good God send people to hell? And don't get me started on the whole Genesis 1 business. Like, what is going on there? But for 80%, we have enough of a big foundation that the 20% questions, they kind of buzz around like mosquitoes. Every now and then we get bit. (laughs) But sometimes the swirl that I talked about at the beginning the swirl becomes a vortex because we suffer a big loss, a crushing disappointment, or we're reading something that just really makes us anxious, or these things that we've never been able to talk about before, we actually start to talk about it, and for a season, maybe the 80% drops to about 15 because we think, how could God let this happen to my life? How could he take this person that I loved? How could he take this dream away from me? How could he let this happen? How can all this Bible stuff be true? I don't even get it, it doesn't make sense half the time. How can people believe this stuff all the time? And then maybe, for a lot of us, it's a season. And with the love of the Christian community and prayer and attentiveness to scripture and exposing ourselves to the truth, we get back up to 80 or 90. But for some of us, maybe 10% is about the best we can do. 
We would love a strong and vibrant faith. We would love that childlike faith that just believes everything and embraces it and doesn't question, but we're not wired that way. We're wired in a way to ask a lot of questions and want the answers and like logic and order and reason and common sense. And there's a lot to this Christianity stuff that doesn't make sense. If Christianity were easy, everybody would do it. There's a lot about this Christianity stuff that doesn't make sense. And so we're going to come in with our 15% and we're going to keep worshiping and we're going to keep in Bible study and we're going to keep going. But we're always going to know we're wired to have a lot more questions than we do answers. And that's why it's so important that we have this story in Scripture. A story that models for us a Christian community who embraces the person who says, I don't believe, loves on him, keeps him in there. He's right with them. But our best model, of course, for how to engage with people who doubt, including ourselves, isn't just the other disciples, but it's Jesus. Jesus comes back a week later. And he says to everybody, peace be with you. But then he goes right to Thomas. He goes right to him. And he says, go ahead, look. Look, touch, touch my side, touch my side. Touch it. He says, I know. Look at the scars, look at the scars. Look, don't doubt. Don't doubt, believe. And people have kind of observed this exchange and they think, well, Jesus is being kind of mean to Thomas. You know, he's saying, don't doubt, believe. Here's my stuff. Look at me. You've got to believe right now. But think about it this way. Jesus goes right to Thomas. He's like, go ahead. Ask any question you want. Get as close as you want. Look. Touch. Listen. Smell. I'm real. I'm alive. Don't doubt, believe. And the reason that Jesus says this to Thomas is because he wants him to know the resurrection. Because he knows that if Thomas believes that Jesus has actually risen from the dead, it will give hope to the rest of Tom's life. It will allow him to face everything that comes ahead because he knows that death is conquered. He knows that Jesus' words are true. He knows that everything that Jesus promised would happen has happened. Jesus says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas, who is confronted with the exact same evidence that the disciples all had a week earlier, he says, my Lord and my God. Thomas is the first person in the Gospel of John to call Jesus God. My Lord and my God. And then Jesus says, oh, you believe because you've seen me? Blessed are all those who haven't seen me and yet believe. And again, this feels a little like a judgment. Like it could be like, oh, you believe just because you've seen me. Well, you know, there are a lot of people who are not going to see me and they're going to believe. It's kind of a C minus for you there, Tom. But think about the other times when Jesus says, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. 
Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When Jesus uses words of blessing, he blesses people who struggle and still stay the course. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are you and all your prayers are answered. Blessed are you and every dream comes true. Jesus doesn't say that. He's not Walt Disney. He's Jesus. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. The word believe comes up more in the Gospel of John than it does in the other three synoptics put together. And you saw that the very end of the section that we read, he says, now I wrote all these things down so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that you would have life in his name. John puts this story about Thomas at the end of his gospel because John knows how hard it is to believe. Thomas knew how hard it is to believe. And Jesus knows how hard it is to believe. Jesus' first move toward the one who doubts is to open himself wide up for inspection. Go ahead and look. Go ahead and touch. Go ahead and see. Because I love you too much to let this get in the way of things. I have too much ahead for you to let this be a roadblock. I have so much in store for you. The love of God is so real for you. So instead of pushing the doubter away, Jesus pulls him in close. Instead of pushing all doubters away, Jesus pulls us in Jesus pulls you in close. When it comes to faith, there's a lot we just don't know. I wish we did, but we don't. But what we do know is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and loves you. Loves you more than you can ever know. And is not afraid of your questions. Is not intimidated by your doubt. Instead, comes near. And we'll see in these next few weeks what that looks like, how that takes shape, how it is made real. It's so tempting when we're talking about faith and doubt to get caught up in the intellectual questions and concerns, to get caught up in the struggles of our own soul and forget that what we're actually talking about is who are you falling in love with? That's the question. Are you becoming more and more in love with Jesus? That's what really matters here. 
Have you looked and examined the promises of Jesus? Have you looked and made true the claims of Jesus? Have you experienced the love of Jesus? Jesus loves people who doubt. Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves me. And he blesses us. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you who have not seen and yet come to believe. Will you pray with me? Our God, we thank you that your Holy Spirit inspired John to write this story down. To write it down and to put it at the end of the gospel. To remind us that Jesus moves toward people who doubt. That he loves the questions and the inquiry. That he is not afraid of our questions and we do not need to be afraid of his love. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come near us now. And that if there are those of us for whom we are at the 10 to 15% level and we are struggling and we are hurting and we need prayers and we need conversation and we need to know the love of Jesus, then Lord, I pray that you will help us to see those people and that those people will speak out Maybe someone's sitting next to us right now who just needs, needs love, needs Christian community, needs hope. Help us to listen and obey the promptings of the Spirit, both to speak our doubts and to have compassion and love toward any who doubt. Help us to make this a safe place, to doubt to grow in faith, to experience the love of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. The worship team is gonna sing a song called When Thomas Heard the Strange Report. And if any time during the singing of this song you wanna come forward and kneel and pray, at the cross of Jesus, you're welcome to do so. If you want to stay in your seats and read the lyrics of the song, that's perfectly fine as well. And remember that after the service tonight, there will be prayer servants back in that corner who would love to pray with you.